You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Good morning and welcome to Dirt Radio, Friends of the Earth's program on 3CR. My name is Megan Williams and I would like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land. 3CR is broadcasting from the Wurundjeri land on the Kulin Nations and I would like to pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty of these lands was never ceded. Today on the show, I will be bringing you a feature from an online discussion that I hosted for the River Country campaign at Friends of the Earth. I spoke with the former environmental water holder, Commonwealth Environmental Water Holder, David Papps, and the Taddy Taddy representative for Mildren, the Murray Lower Darling Rivers Indigenous Nations, about environmental water and cultural water. What are they? What's their purpose? How are they different? So that's coming up after this community service announcement. You're listening to 3CR. We really are in unprecedented times, and 3CR, as your local community broadcaster, is trying to do our part to minimise the spread of the coronavirus throughout the community. At the front of our minds is protecting the most marginalised and vulnerable, but we are still here. And we'll continue broadcasting 24 hours a day with radical alternative content throughout this period, but things will sound a bit different. Some programmers will present their shows on the phone and we'll be finding creative ways to bring you our regular programming. So stay tuned, stay safe and be kind to each other. Good evening and welcome to everyone to for joining this very special event tonight brought to you by the River Country Campaign at Friends of the Earth. My name is Megan Williams and I'm the coordinator of the River Country Campaign and I'm really pleased to be bringing you our latest online discussion as part of the hashtag Revive Our Rivers series. Tonight we're talking really about two topics. One, water for the environment and the second one cultural flows what are they how are they different what are their similarities and what do they look like when they're released into our rivers wetlands and floodplains who better to explain these concepts than the former head of the commonwealth environmental water david paps thank you so much for joining us today david that's okay hi everyone and also joining us is Brendan Kennedy, who is the Taddy Taddy representative for Mildren, which is the Murray, uh, the Murray Lower Darling Rivers Indigenous Nations group. And before we go any further, Brendan is going to give us a digital welcome to country. So um, over to you, Brendan. Hi, everyone. Um, Good to see you. Good to be here talking about water. Um, we generally, my people, where I come from, Taddy Taddy, and Wadi Wadi people, we, we're not in a position to give welcome, but we do acknowledgements. 
acknowledgement to country and acknowledgement to ancestors. So I want to pay my respects to all the country that everyone is is um, is on, and I want to pay respect to all the ancestors from all those countries, um, and also pay respects to the elders, um, ancestors from the past to now and into the future. Thank you. Thank you, Brendan. And I would also like to pay respects to the elders of the country that I am on. I'm out on Barkindji country right now, actually, and uh, the Barker, the Lower Darling River, is no doubt one of the most heavily impacted stretches of the river in the whole Murray-Darling Basin. And for everybody joining us, whether via Zoom or by Facebook, we'd love to hear from you. We'd like to invite you to acknowledge the country you're standing on and pay respects to your elders in the comments. So drop us a comment, let us know which country you're coming from and what you've come to learn today. And so I think the best place to start uh, this discussion is to define what environmental water is. So, David, perhaps we're going to start with you on this. Fish don't live in trees. Why do red gums need water? <laughs> well, um, there's so much of our, of our life that is governed by rivers, floodplains and wetlands. And while I concentrated on the Murray-Darling Basin and the work that I did, um, it's fair to say that just about everywhere is uh, in some catchment or another. We all have a connection. To rivers, we all have a connection to floodplains and, and wetlands, and and with those natural places comes all the fauna and flora uh, that is dependent on water, uh, and that really goes to the heart of environmental water. What is environmental water about? It's really not much more complex than than water that's specifically allocated to to help rivers, floodplains, and wetlands stay healthy. And although I might end up talking mostly about rivers. I want to emphasise the integrated nature of the environment that we're dealing with. Rivers, wetlands, floodplains, they're connected, they're dependent on each other. And, of course, all the plants and animals that live out there, uh, including river red gums and black boxes and all those other things, are dependent on, on uh, regular flooding in between the droughts to survive. And that's what Water for the Environment is about. Mm. And can you tell us about when Water for the Environment became a concept that, you know, people were aware of and began to be implemented by a government? So the idea has been around for a long time, and, and let me acknowledge now that, that for Indigenous people and Indigenous communities, it's been there forever as an idea that has assumed shape in, in government circles uh, and in academic circles. Uh, it's certainly been around. Uh, in the early 40s and 50s, there's always been a very deep understanding at the scientific level of the interrelationship between uh, rivers, floodplains, wetlands and the plants and animals that are dependent on them and an increasingly sophisticated understanding of how ecosystems in those places work, so the combination of everything and how everything is entwined and, and interdependent. So that idea has been around for a long time. The sort of intellectual basis to environmental flows has been with us for a long time. The practice of it uh, more recent. Uh, in Australia, the states have been doing environmental ordering for some decades, but at any scale uh, where you've got significant amounts of water that are available to the environment, specifically to the environment, it's really only kicked off uh, 
in the Murray-Darling Basin, at least uh, in 2007, culminating in the Basin Plan uh, in 2012. So at the scale we're talking about, with the amount of water we're talking about, relatively new. Mm. And so uh, I think it's fair to say that there is a lot of misinformation in the community about the role of environmental water. Um, can you give us some examples of what environmental water looks like when it's, you know, what does it look like when it's in holding, you know, when it's when it's an allocation and what does it look like when it gets released into the environment? Okay, so it varies a bit across, and I'm talking about the Murray-Darling Basin because that's where we're operating. It varies a little bit, so, so I'm going to generalise. Um, in the system that's being brought in under the Basin Plan under the Commonwealth Water Act, the environment, if you like, for the first time really owns a significant chunk of water. So there are entitlements, which are water licences. They're the same sorts of things that irrigators own, rice growers, cotton growers. Um, everyone who, who farms in irrigated agriculture has an entitlement or a range of entitlements. And so for the first time, the environment owns those same sort of entitlements. Uh, in the Southern Basin, uh, water uh, is stored in dams against those entitlements. There are allocations made each year. When there's plenty of water around, you get all the water that you're entitled to. When there's not, you get a smaller amount. And so the system that we've got uh, enables the Commonwealth Environmental Water Holder and the other environmental water managers. I want to acknowledge that there are plenty in the states doing a great job, have been for years, for decades. It enables the Commonwealth Environmental Water Holder to manage that water. And environmental watering is really about the right amount of water at the right time in the right place. So first of all, we need to understand what do we want from the water? What are the outcomes that we're looking for? Healthy environment is the grab all, but we need to be much more specific about that. So for example, in the Goulburn River, where we spent uh, a lot of time uh, doing some watering, we were focusing on two things, fish, particularly golden perch, and the vegetation, the native vegetation that grows on the riverbanks and is so important to the health of the river. And so that's that. That's what environmental water looks like in the environment. Releasing water into the Goulburn from the dams at the right time of the year, in this case, to get golden perch breeding, to get them spreading through the system, or to try and restore some of the native vegetation on the banks that's been knocked about by drought and water flowing at uh, too, too consistent uh, and too high a level. Mm. And, uh, like, what about, um, can you give us some other examples of, when an environmental flow is delivered to a wetland or a floodplain, like what, what does it look like and what kind of benefits does it have in, in a specific area? So it looks like lots of different things depending on the circumstances. Uh, the one thing it generally doesn't look like because uh, we can't do it because we don't have enough water and it would be it would be dangerous anyway is we can't replicate big natural floods. So those massive floods that you get in the basin, they're all natural what environmental water is doing is in between the big floods is trying to reintroduce some of the flows that have been taken out by dams. Dams do a marvellous job for irrigated agriculture and for communities and they're important. Uh, we don't decry that. But one of the byproducts of dams is that they eliminate the sort of flows in between the big floods. So environmental watering is about putting that variability back into the river. Flows are up and down and trigger different processes. So for fish, for example, uh, there's quite usually quite specific flow regimes to start them breeding. They won't breed unless the temperature of the water is right and unless the flow regime is right. 
So that's what you're doing. You're trying to put that water back into the environment to make up for the flows that have been subtracted by us occupying the floodplains and using all the water in the rivers. Uh, and then it then depends, again, what you're looking for, whether it's for fish, whether it's for vegetation, colonial uh, water nesting birds. So add in some of those great wetlands like the Narran Lakes and the quarry marshes where you get massive floods uh, every now and then. Inundating those wetlands brings in thousands and thousands of birds, breeding pelicans, ibis, spoonbills, all sorts of birds. Those one-off marvellous events where you, where you get a massive boom in bird numbers breeding they're fundamental. Now, what we see in many of those places is that you'll get a big flood, it'll trigger the breeding, but there's not enough water left to get the birds through, the baby birds through to them being old enough to survive on their own. So for environmental water, for example, we can put environmental water in after the flood and keep things ticking over so that you don't get all those little birds starving to death. Um, and, and that's the way that environmental water works generally. Uh, and again, it depends what do you want out of it. Sometimes we want to just shift salt out of the environment and out of the system. Um, other times we're focused on birds or plants or fish, all those things that need water at the right time in the right place. And there's just a question coming through in the comments. So, you know, like a, a good watering event will um, provide those benefits for those uh, targeted species depending on the event. Is it just the birds or the fish in that event that benefit or are there broader benefits for people and, you know, other species that might not be targeted? Yeah, invariably there are broader benefits because everything's so interconnected. So I talked about the golden before, one of my favourite examples where we were working initially on getting golden perch, which went breeding, getting them to breed. But in doing that, you're creating flow conditions in the river, you're creating habitat for a myriad of species. So... You know, yabbies, snails, uh, invertebrates, all the things that everything depends on for food get going. The fish get going. When the fish get going, uh, the turtles get going. So even though there are specific requirements for the specific species, when you're putting it in, there are lots of almost, I won't call them accidental byproducts, but certainly the benefit spreads across a large number of species. And, of course, there are benefits uh, for communities as well. They're healthy rivers, are healthy places to live. Uh, there's lots of recreational opportunities. People love being in these places, kayaking, photographing, camping. Um, you know, you get a lot of benefits, recreational benefits and economic benefits from these flows as well. Mm, fantastic. And that's probably a good point to bring in Brendan. So, Brendan, You've prepared us some slides to kind of talk through the basics of cultural flows, but maybe before we get to them or while while I set those up, can you talk us through like the difference between cultural flows and, you know, David's talking about benefits for the broader community of environmental flows. Do Indigenous people benefit from these broader, um, you know, the broader benefits that come along with environmental flows? Well, first, before I, before I sort of address that, I just want to declare, you know, from the Tati Tati Wadi Wadi people that we are the sovereign and rightful people that continue to hold water rights and responsibilities for caring for all of our country. And that includes all of our traditional waterways, cultural landscapes, ancestral sites, cultural heritage, languages, law, customs and ancestral totems and animal species. This is our inherent right. Um, that has been bequeathed 
to us and it's our responsibility. And this is where we derive our ownership as traditional owners. And we, the traditional owners, we've never ceded our sovereignty, nor have we never ever relinquished nor given or traded away our inherent rights to any other foreign individuals or parties or governments. So we do, we have not, and we do not consent to others acting on our behalf, nor do we authorise anyone else to manage our country, including our water. Um, and so we do, we have never, nor should anyone else misinterpret nor take um, our involvement in these, in this sector, in the water sector, environmental sector, should never be taken or misconstrued as us giving consent or uh, relinquishing our sovereignty. So we've never ceded our sovereignty. Um, just a difference there straight away, just hearing David, and I do know the difference. Um, I think you've got up on the screen there the, the Tukula Declaration. And yep. so that's that's uh, been endorsed by the Mildred, Murray, Lower Darling Rivers Indigenous Nations, 27 nations, the Confederation of Nations, also the uh, NBAN, Northern Na Nations, Northern Basin. So, um, but I think uh, just to put it quite simply, I think what we're looking at two different things. One, one is through the eyes of uh, Europeans, through the eyes of the coloniser, um, looking for those benefits, particular species, particular outcomes, whereas the other cultural flows, it's through the eyes of the people who have been here for up to 100,000 years. So they're, they're, they're like chalk and cheese, albeit it's water going to particular areas of country that will... Um, will bind traditional owners, First Nations, and you know the mainstream, which and the land and the waters and all the, all of our species, but we're basically coming from two totally different lenses. One, as I said, the European colonizer colonizers lens, and the other cultural flows is coming from the lens of the First Nations, First Peoples. Great. And do you want to talk us through these slides? You just let me know when you're ready to move to the next yeah, slide definitely. and you can take it, um, take us through them. Yeah. It brought up the, um, and, and that, the Echukula Declaration, 2010, obviously in Echuca in Victoria on the Murray, um, where we came together. You can you can Google this, Echukula Declaration, you can download the whole declaration. So it's available um, and it's recognised. It's recognised, obviously, by the First Nations, um, but it's now being recognised by the, you know, by by the Commonwealth, and to an extent, some of the states. If you want to mm. flick to the next. Um, yeah, yeah. So I will just read it, just in case anyone can't see it yeah. on the screen. So it says that cultural flows are water entitlements that are legally and beneficially owned by the Indigenous nations of a sufficient and adequate quantity and quality to improve the spiritual, cultural, environmental, social and economic conditions of those nations and that it's at your inherent right. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, you know, that, that really hits the nail on the head. You know, the water is owned by the First Nations. Um, and and how the benefits that are derived and created in cultural benefits for us as human beings, but also our ancestral animals, all living um, 
beings within that are going to benefit from that water. It's up to us to decide, interpret and express um, those benefits, including the social and cultural benefits, the economic benefits, the spiritual well-being of everything that's involved in that, in that uh, cultural flows events when they do happen. Mm. This particular here is, so we've had, um, you know, there's been a lot of investment in this in cultural flows. And, you know, it's come about because of the, you know, over 200 years of the way water has been taken away from our people and, and been managed on our behalf without our consent um, to the detriment of the environment and to the detriment of our people. So, you know, our people got together with some very smart minds and uh, there was a team put together and um, they created what is called the uh, the cultural flows uh, documents. We have this one here. There's also, um, so this one really touches on the pathway in a legal sense to um, water law and, and policy across this country, particularly, you know, the basin. Um, but the next particular guide, if Megan, if you can move on, is, and it also allows for um, the First Nations communities, traditional owners within the basins, so it's a guide we can create our our own documents. Um, cultural flows management plans is an example, which uh, some of the nations are already already doing, progressing well. Um, so these are guides. It gives us it gives us a bit of a flow chart, a bit of a um, a guidance template for us to develop our own version of a cultural flow, because a cultural flow for my country. And wetlands in my country, you know, they won't necessarily be the same as cultural flow for other nations and other landscapes. So, um, you know, First Nations are really gearing up and really moving ahead on this. Um, some of the states are moving with us, but it's just a matter of some of those water managers um, who are delivering water on behalf of the Commonwealth or the states. Um, and that's the thing. We it's a real balance here, making sure particular stakeholders or agencies don't fall behind in this, um, because at the end of the day, it's in, you know it's our land and waters, but also our people um, that hopefully that will benefit. Or or if we don't get cultural flows, then um, you know the opposite effect can happen. Mm. So for us. Um, yeah, you know, this is for First Nations, you know, this is builds a pathway for reform in um, water legislation, water law and policy, but it's also a pathway to strengthen our nations, our First Nations, our interests, our roles in water management. That's a, that's a very important point. Our role in the management of our water, and that's done culturally. Um, this will help support our, our, we got our responsibilities. That's been, that's one thing that's been relieved upon us, relieved of us is our responsibility, albeit we did not consent. So it'll support our cultural values for, um, for water. It'll obviously enhance environmental outcomes. <laughs> that's, you know, that's a no-brainer, you know. 
Um, and of course, it'll build the socioeconomic opportunities around the water space for our for our people, First Nations peoples. So yeah, and then look throughout throughout these cultural flows documents, you know, there's been some really strong statements that really makes it really clear around how water is sacred for us. It's our source, our symbol of life. It provides our resources and our aquatic ecosystems enhances our spiritual and cultural economy. So, you know, as we always hear elders saying, the rivers are the veins of the country. Um, that, that is the probably, you know, I don't think you can put it any more clear though, the veins, the rivers are the veins of the country, carries water to all the parts of the country, the kidneys, you know, the wetlands of the kidneys and the filtering of the water past free land. That's our responsibility, not only for all of our animals and our our species, but also for Mother Earth, the land, Mother Earth, and also all our people downstream. So we're shepherding the water through country, shepherding through, so it it moves on down to the next lot of people who do the same. It has been they've been doing it for so long. Mm. Next one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so this is a bit of a graph that's come out of the. Um, the cultural flows document. So it give, so we're trying to do it all these cultural flows, explaining it in obviously from our perspective, but also put it in into the um, Anglo, European, Australian way in explaining. Because unless we don't explain it properly and that it's understood, then we're always going to have this misconception. You know that oh, environmental flows is the same as cultural flows, vice versa. So it gives us here, you know, our rights to secure the water rights and um, and then influence the water landscapes. And then there's our transformational foundational needs um, that that will be enhanced out of that. So, yeah, it's basically, you know, it's a pathway to an enduring cultural flows is what we've been on this trail about for a long time. And there's many steps um, to dealing with you know, our cultural values and ecological and hydrological values. So, you know, and, and creating and changing laws, creating strong laws and policies that will protect cultural flows going in the future, which then will build that strength enduring ways um, that require us, requires our water rights, re reasserts our influence over the water landscapes, supporting new water governance and foundations and placing First Nations at the heart of water, you know, the water base, water management um, in this country. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op is open. Get fresh produce and support local farmers and keep our grassroots community thriving through these unusual times. Organic veggie boxes and click and collect now available. Visit www.foefood.org slash click collect to place your orders. Or pop in store at 312 Smith Street and see how we're adapting with our new physical distancing layout. 
shop organic and buy local. Made easy at Friends of the Earth. A proud 3CR supporter. you're back on 3CR we have been listening to the start of an online discussion that I hosted with former environmental water holder David Papps and Taddy Taddy representative for Mildren the Murray Lower Darling Rivers Indigenous Nations about environmental water and cultural water environmental water is of course Um, an allocation that is put onto floodplains to create environmental outcomes and cultural flows and cultural water is a much, much broader concept um, that really could be instrumental in making this country a sustainable place to live. So I would encourage you to go online to the River Country Facebook page, search for the River Country campaign on Facebook or to and scroll through our videos to watch the whole discussion and you can also find it on the friends of the earth australia youtube channel so search us friends of the earth australia on youtube to find the video there Um, and check out our facebook page and our website for all sorts of different events that we have running at the moment All of our collective meetings are currently online. So if you're at home and looking for something to get involved in, jump onto melbournevo.org.au and get in touch with us us through there. Um, And join one of our collectives. You can campaign for climate, renewables, for rivers, campaign for forests, campaign stop new gas, Stop new gas being built on the west coast of Victoria. There's really no, there's really so many options um, to get involved at Friends of the Earth. So if you are looking for something to do, check us out. And uh, that's just about all we have time for today. Thanks for listening to another episode of Dirt Radio. We will catch you next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.